Park Flyer Podcast, Episode 5, Flight Controls. Welcome to the Park Flyer Podcast, where we discuss the ups and downs of the new RC Flyer. Join your hosts, Michael and Jay, as they take flight at the park. Now on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Park Flyer Podcast. I'm your host, Jay, and with me, as always, is my good friend, Mike. Hey, Mike. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Hey, Mike. Tonight, I want to talk about stick and rudder. Ooh, and sounds w- dirty. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that we have, this is uh, over 18 uh, episodes, so anybody under 18 should leave the room or the podcast. Sure. Uh, no, no, Mike. What I'm talking about is control surfaces of your aircraft. For the beginner, so I think you went out and was flying with some of the some of your guys, and you guys were talking about this, and that that sounded like a really good topic that we could bring up and expose to everybody on how their plane works and what's a better way to set their planes up to control and how they should learn as a beginner. So, are you talking about a beginner, meaning that uh, I want to be on a three-channel versus a four-channel type airplane? Exactly. Uh, some people want to start and start with uh, four channels right from the start. And sometimes when they do that, they may use one control surface more than another. And I'm of the thought that they should start out with three channels, learn how to fly with that first. And as they get more advanced, they can start adding that extra channel in there to do control turns, more advanced maneuvers. And it's a better way to learn early on as opposed to learning bad habits. And then, then when they try to learn how to do crosswind landings or, or other types of things, well, they didn't use that finger or that particular control surface. And it's a lot harder to train your brain to use it, you know, six months down the road than it was learning from the very beginning that way. So you're talking three channel, which means you have a motor channel. So that's yes. the throttle stick. Then you have a rudder channel, which is on the throttle stick. And then you have an elevator channel. So elevator, rudder, and motor. And that's three channels. If we jumped Essentially, into a, yes. If we jumped into an aileron channel, that would be four channels. So yes. from the new guy's perspective or someone new to the, to the park flying, buying a three-channel means that you have the motor and the elevator, which is your up and down, you know, climb and descending, but then you just have a rudder and the rudder makes the aircraft turn. And you're right. I did get to go out and talk to some of the guys in the park and uh, we'll hear what they have to say here in a bit, but I'm a firm believer that the new person should start with a three channel aircraft a slow stick or if they built one out of blue core or some kind of a, you know, glider type airplane, something that's slow, something that has three channels so that they can train their, their fingers and their hands uh, in order to use the rudder. And that's really what we're talking about is rudder usage. Well, Mike, what if they bought a four channel airplane to begin with? What can they do if they do something like that? Well, the four-channel aircraft, they can actually take the aileron channel out. You you have a receiver. The receiver probably has six channels in it. You have a battery channel or throttle channel. 
you have an aileron channel, rudder channel. Um, you have a probably an auxiliary channel, gear channel. So there, there's different channels in there, which is the little slot that you plug your servo in. So one servo, your your ESC or your battery uh, power should come in and plug into the throttle. Right behind that should be an aileron channel. And you can just pull that that servo out. So the servo is no longer being used. And I think some planes, those you can actually cut them out. You know, some ailerons you actually cut out or you add that servo as well. And you just don't cut those things loose. The slow stick is like that. The slow stick, when you initially buy it, just has a rudder, elevator, and a motor. It doesn't have ailerons. But if you looked at really closely, you can see that in the foam, there's actually an imprint that will allow you to cut the foam to make it an aileron. And you can actually put a servo, another servo, that will run your ailerons. And I think Larry flies uh, with ailerons on his slow stick, but I don't think Tom uh, flies with ailerons on his. He just flies with a three-channel. But the key to this and where, you know, some of the things that we need to talk about is where do you put that channel do you put the rudder channel on the left stick where the rudder should be or do you put it on the right stick where the ailerons are because now the ailerons are actually controlling the rudder versus the rudder controlling the rudder i i think a lot of guys that it will depend on how they started or if they were using a simulator or not and what i mean by that is I have some guys here where I fly, they started flying on the simulator, but they had it set up that the rudder was set up on their aileron stick. And so to turn the plane, they always use their that aileron stick on the left-hand side, or the right-hand side, to control turning, on always. And so when you try to set it up on the left-hand side, they can't do it. They can't use the rudder. They can't use the rudder. Yeah, so I see some of the guys that I fly with, you know, they'll push the throttle up and then they'll take their left hand completely off the stick and they use their right hand uh, to control the remaining of the airplane, the remainder of the airplane. So if they need to go up, they pull back on the stick for the elevator. And if they need to go left or right, they move the ailerons. However, if it's hooked up with the L, if it's hooked up into a three channel with the rudder servo in the aileron channel, your aileron stick, it now controls the, the turning motion of the airplane. Right. But your your left thumb doesn't have to do anything anymore but work the throttle. To me, that's a bad habit to get into because if you want to progress into a bigger airplane, into 3D, into the, the glider world or any of those other airplanes or move into a four-channel type airplane, you really haven't trained your left thumb to work the rudder so very similar to you know learning learning the the simulator to fly back towards you you have to train your thumbs to move in the right direction and if you if you automatically go to an aileron channel with the rudder you have a tendency to to feel like the airplane turns with the wrong stick does that make sense it does uh, part of the problem uh, that we have up here in Alaska, like right now, a lot of new people near Christmas time, they'll get a plane for flying indoors. 
and that's what we do up here. We fly indoors between November and March. So they'll buy a, a UMX type or style plane, which is a little small plane with a with a transmitter, and those planes are set up with the rudder on the aileron side, and people will learn how to fly with those planes during the indoor season. And then once we progress to the outdoor season, and then they like fly with me or with uh, another trainer, I get out there and I'll be talking to them to use their left hand and use their thumb, and they're just totally confused. And I'll say that uh, the last batch of guys that I flew with, they were over 50. And it seems that anybody over 50, once they get taught something, old dogs, new tricks type of thing, once they get taught how to use their right hand to control right or left, their left hand is useless. Wait a minute, we're over 50. Well, fortunately, we learned the right way to fly. <laughs> before we turned 50. Yeah, we learned the hard way. Many crashes. <laughs> exactly. You know, I, I kind of agree with you, but uh, on, on the other hand, what I do is is most of the time I'll take that rudder channel and I'll plug it into the rudder channel. Then what I'll do is I'll take the digital radio and I will mix the rudder channel into the aileron channel by 5 or 10%. So now what happens is when I, when I exercise the the aileron stick on the right-hand side of your radio, the airplane has a tendency to slowly want to turn one direction or the other. It doesn't oh. turn really hard. It just turns. That's a, good, that, that's a really good idea. It it just barely turns. And now if I want to, tur to turn even more, I get them to push on the rudder. Now the rudder will really cause that airplane to come around because 100% of it's on the rudder side. And 5% of it, it's on the aileron side. So now they learn to do it the same. They, they put, you know, aileron in, rudder in. They put opposite aileron, opposite rudder in. They can, they can kind of figure out that, hey, if I really want this airplane to kind of turn around, I can use this left stick. If I want it to just barely turn, I'll use the right stick. Now, when, I, when they go to a four-channel where they can now use ailerons, the ailerons are used specifically for a roll mode. They do not turn the airplane. The airplane will not turn left and right. It will just roll. So if you have an airplane like Phil, Phil uh, has a, what was it, a hacker zoom. The hacker zoom rolls ballistically in a straight line. If you go left or right aileron, the airplane will literally go around like a drill and just go in a circle, I mean, in a, in a roll. It won't roll and turn and come back to you unless you start messing with the rudder because from an aerodynamic standpoint the rudder is what turns the airplane the ailerons are what rolls the airplane and i think when they move to that they start trying to haul you know haul the airplane around with this aileron stick and it's not moving so they go to turn it doesn't turn and then they pull the elevator back and they get this airplane to kind of do this little loopy motion it doesn't really turn and if you watch some of those guys they never fly in a flat turn radius figure eight type or, or in a pattern. They will always fly in a looping maneuver over the top and then back and then over the top and back because they're constantly rolling the airplane and then pulling back on the stick because they never use the rudder. Oh, I wish you would have told me that like last year when I was doing all that training. That, that's a great <laughs> idea. I never thought to do something like that. That would have trained those guys Terrifically. I mean, I, oh man, 
No, you should have told me that last year. I, I, so you obviously did. You obviously did something different. What did you do? I I pretty much stuck them just on the rudder alone. You know, the rudder and the rudder, and I just would just beat them with the stick and yell at them and use negative reinforcement to get them to use their rudder. And unfortunately, they just had it in their brain to use their aileron all aileron stick all the time, and it was it was really really hard to break. You'll hear Larry talk about, uh, you know, putting it in the aileron channel and mixing it the other direction. You can do that as well. Like I said, I, I wish I somebody would have told me to do something like this because it helps a person make that transition either way. I think that's a terrific idea. That's just that's just the way I do it. I mean, I know that what you're talking about with the e-flights, that they're all on the on the aileron stick. But you can actually do – if you got one of those UMX flyers – if you wanted to train somebody to use the rudder, what you would do is take it and exercise more, you know, just take it and move it over to the rudder stick and then just allow the rudder stick to have more, you know, probably 80% of the turning versus the, the 100% that the aileron stick has. Right. I, I think part of the problem, too, is with those smaller UMX type models, they came with their own radio and they're kind of a, even though they're digital radios, they're not a traditional radio. They're more like an analog radio so you don't have that fine control to do that with you know because you've seen their little transmitters they're like little plastic throwaway things and they just don't have that much control with them now if they have a regular radio uh, a regular spectrum type style radio then yeah that's no problem but most of them started out with that little plastic cheapy thing right and it doesn't have that kind of control that's true um, and I didn't think about that, but you're right. They came with their own radios in it, not necessarily the the spectrum type. But now, now they have the bind and flies, which the bind and flies are really better uh, because now you can use your own radio. Uh, you don't have to have 15 of these little, you know, crummy little radios that that you know that you can fly with. You can just have one, and then just buy a cheaper bind and fly model and bind it right to your your uh, your radio. But that's the way I've always done it. And, and you know, obviously I come from an aviation background and, and in flight school we're taught, you know, rudder turns the airplane, aileron rolls the airplane. And I've just, when I became an AMA instructor, I just kind of took that with me. And that's kind of the way that, uh, you know, that I trained other people like that. I did have a chance to go out and talk to the guys at the park. Well, let's take an opportunity and hear what they have to say about it. Makes sense. Because most people start out with a three channel. You guys started out with three channels, right? So no, six. four channel. You yeah, started with four channels. Yeah, advanced. I, I think it was a mistake. Oh yeah, you'd go back to a three channel. Yeah, to start out, I would. Now it's second nature. I can handle the four channel, but three channel, three channel would be better for a beginner. I think so too. Yeah. Too much to think about at one time. Well, you're trying to get used to a radio and, and which direction you're going, and you, know, you start adding all those complexities of the airplane. I think. I think you get confused pretty quickly. Well, you do, and you only have a second to, you know, to correct things. Right. Yeah. Ailerons makes it quicker to turn. It can roll over, and whereas if you just radiant, for instance, or uh, a slow stick, they kind of prove that. Because if you put, as soon as you put ailerons on it, it has a tendency to move like this. Well, bang. yeah, because you're, you're adding a roll rate that's faster than what the rudder can do. Exactly. So I'm saying, whoa, everybody has trouble going from that three to a four. 
But you can mix out the, the see that's that's why once again when I think about the way that I that I was doing it, if you know that your aircraft will turn with the rudder stick, then when you add ailerons, you can dial the ailerons back to exactly the mix that you put in. So if you put five percent of that rudder in, you can put five percent aileron in. And then now your rudder still turns you, but your ailerons are not as aggressive as they would be if you just put 100%. Now the airplane rolls at this incredible rate, plus you got the yaw in there. And everybody thinks that now the airplane's rolling and they're pulling, and they think that's how it turns around, when in reality it doesn't. So, you know, I don't know. That was well, my thought good, process. That's a good point on, on, on your idea of taking a three-channel and still mixing uh, rudder to the aileron. I think that's a great idea. That, yeah kind of confer, uh, supports that because now when you're going through this other one they just do the same but I'm just going to get on it's real dampened right and so to them it's going to be almost the same as flying a regular three channel and it will be but then you can eventually dial crank up the ailerons in. you crank it up to where now they got a roll race and it's easier it's easier to understand you know when you're you're going to that four channel what the actual aileron does because it, the aileron will actually just roll the airplane it won't turn it um you know, Phil's, Phil's airplane is a great demonstration of that because when you put aileron in, there is no, there's no rudder input, so the, aileron, or the, the, the airplane just rolls around the point. And so if you wanted to turn it back, that you're, you know, if you were flying a three-channel and you're used to pulling on the ailerons and having the airplane do a 360-degree turn or a 180-degree turn back to you, and now you went to a, a four-channel and went to go turn with the ailerons only, your airplane's just going to roll in place. It's not going to make that turn coming back around. If you didn't put any elevator in, it would just roll on a point. So you gotta you gotta somehow in your mind train your thumbs to be able to get the airplane to turn back towards you with your left thumb and then pull the elevator and add roll rate in there as well to get it to kinda of come around. But that may be just because I think from a pilot's perspective. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that's the case. Because almost every plane I've ever flown that has just ailerons or ailerons and rudder, it, it'll it'll come around. Except for Cubs, Cubs have a tendency to just kind of just drift on down. You have to right. use the rudder on that. But most of these planes will come around just fine, and that's because a lot of them have some dihedral on there. So you're changing that wing a little bit as you put the ailerons into it. Well, and most people pull back when they when they turn. It's a natural tendency to pull the stick back towards you when you start when you start turning because in, in a true airplane, I would say rolling, I would say that drop. here we go. I would say that's not true okay. because I'm constantly having to tell people give it. They'll say it's falling. I say, always give it a little bit of elevator up elevator as you're going into a turn. You know, help you bring it on around. Otherwise, the nose is going to fall on down. And so you teach them that, then they finally get it and they do. But so, just to start with. Most people don't, and it just goes like this. So why is it the nose is dropping when they're making the turn? Because the wing is falling down, slowing down on no, the side. it's because they're not using the rudder. Because, uh, all right, so we have a propeller that's turning, right? And it's when you roll to the left, the, the propeller, gyroscopic precession of the propeller is going to pull the nose towards the ground. It's going to cause the, the, if you're straight and level, you're flying straight and level, if you were to roll 10 degrees or 20 degrees, the nose of the airplane is going to go to the left, and therefore it's starting a descent. Now, if you're using just aileron, you are now rolling into a more than 20 degrees, 
you're actually causing your plane to go nose down. You can counteract that by pulling back on the stick and the airplane will actually pitch up and now it's pitching against your rolling rate. When you go to the right, it's the opposite. The nose will uh, again go to the left, but now it's wanting to climb and you're rolling past that 30 degrees, the airplane now will actually counteract that and start coming to the ground again. Where if you actually had straight level and you added the left, left stick and the rudder, the airplane should turn flat because it's raising one wing and now you're actually putting a little bit of that elevator in there to counteract for that adverse yaw. That's really what it's called, is adverse yaw. And, and it happens in big airplanes, small airplanes, you know, RC airplanes, it's all the same. But that's what's causing them to, to start that descent is not because they're not using the elevator, it's because they're not using the rudder to counteract that adverse yaw. Okay, if that's, if that's true then, so when you're making a left, it's going to be more... It's going to have a tendency to be worse as far as falling down. Correct. So pull back and, up. And so that's why a lot of times people will come around. They don't give it. A, they try to give it too much or what to counter. Wind catches the wing and then she just goes, she rolls goes on right it over. I've witnessed this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, the wind is a different topic again, right? Well, it is, is a totally, totally, totally different topic, but uh, but it does, it shouldn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's no wind or whether it's ten knots or whether it's you know a gusty wind out here. If you turn the airplane using the rudder, aileron, elevator com combination, it, it should not matter. You shouldn't dive towards the ground. It should make a straight, even turn all the way around. So then, if I have a tendency, or if I've seen this in, in past three or four years learning to fly. Mm -hmm. As you're coming around, and the ones when I get the spiral of death is usually on a left turn. Correct. Because your nose is wanting to point towards the ground. Naturally. So here's what you should do. Go back up, turn it to the left, and when it starts that spiral like that, pull the power to idle. And see if the airplane doesn't stop descending as rapidly. Because all that power in there is pulling you into that spiral. And so if you pull the power to idle and you ease off on the elevator, you'll see the airplane will stay in that dive, but it will it will not continue to dive and it won't continue to roll. And then just add opposite rudder to the top side and you'll see that you'll be you'll be flying a knife edge at that point. But that's how you do that, and that's why. And people that start pulling on the on the on the stick are now pulling the airplane, it's causing a pitch motion that's greater than 30 degrees if it's 45 degrees and the nose is coming down now you're actually rolling the airplane and pulling down because once you get past that 45 to 90 degrees you're if you have no rudder then the airplane's natural tendency is to roll on its back and come through the bottom like a split s kind of thing so if you're if you don't want that to happen just pull the power off and now the power is not causing you to it's not pulling you to the ground as fast now the actual slowdown of the prop will cause a little bit of a break, and you should be able to get out of the spiral if you just let go. Pull the power to idle and let go. It should just kind of right itself. If there's any dehedral, it should right itself. But if there isn't? If there's not, like in a flat profile, foamy or whatever, it, then it should just stay where it was. If you rolled it into 45 degrees of bank and it's starting to head towards the ground, you pull the power to idle, it should stay at just a 45 degrees. And if you pull elevator on it, it should just stay at the 45 degree mark and come back around. It won't be as, 
as a strong of a, a desire for the airplane to get towards the ground. But you can't get into a stall if you do try to get more and more elevator, right? Yeah, because you're exceeding the critical angle of attack. The stall doesn't happen. The stall only happens when you exceed the critical angle. And if you exceed the critical angle, it's because you're pulling fast enough that the airplane can't continue to put airflow over the wing. Right. So yeah. A10. Yes. Okay. EDF. Yeah. Duels. Right. Okay. Oldest was flying this plane that the youngest had given him, and it's windy, and he comes out and he goes into a hard bank. We tried to do a very hard turn, like a slow spin turn. Right. And it just rolled over on back. Right on over and went on in. And he, you know, he couldn't get it to do anything, but he was trying to get it more up elevated. Right. He needed to get his speed back up. That is correct. And then. Then he could probably pull back out, but it did that. So it's, it's the left turns, and, then, and I think the reason why beginners get into more problems with left turns. Well, how are we taught counterclockwise at the beginning? That's true. Yeah. So I think you're you're making your left turns. I think that's where there's a greater tendency to get into that. And you're saying that the plane is more likely to do a spiral in on a left turn. That is correct. And it's because it's because of uh, in the pilot world we call it p factor, but it's that disc that's, that's the prop that's spinning and it's pulling the airplane to the left. So when you when you hand launch it doesn't work, but when you take an airplane off on the ground and you add the power, which direction does it go? It always goes to the left. You're having to put right rudder in to keep the airplane going straight. And the faster you go, the less rudder you have to put in. But right when you start adding the power, you're adding a lot of right rudder to keep it going straight because the airplane has a left-turning tendency. Well, that left-turning tendency doesn't disappear when you're in the air. It's still staying there. And then when you get the airplane into a configuration where it's it's allowing, like if you get slow, it happens worse when you're slow. Because now when you're really slow, it's exactly like you, you had when you took off. If you have no rudder in there, the airplane's moving to the left. It's very, very slow. It's at a high alpha. And when it rolls over, you are not coordinated. The airplane will roll on its back, and normally it will go to the left. Depends on how much power you have in there. But normally it will just roll over on itself. Now, when you fly a jet, the EDFs, they have to have a lot of energy because they don't have the immediate pickup that a prop does. So the problem is when you get low and slow in a jet and you jam the throttles, there's no airflow coming through those EDFs, and therefore the airplane's not going to just punch out and go. It's got to get airflow over it. So you want to fly a little higher so that if something happens, you can dive and get airflow coming through the, the EDF, and then you've got the power to pull out of the bottom of it. So guys will come in and fly real low and slow. They'll get high alpha, and then they'll jam it, and nothing happens. And then the airplane rolls over and goes into the ground. Because, well witnessed. Yeah, they don't understand that it needs airflow. The other thing they do is try to take off on the EDF and they rotate way too soon because they don't have enough power coming through the, the tail end of this thing. And they go, oh, it's going to get airborne and it starts pitching up. And as it pitches, it exceeds that critical angle of attack. And then if you're not coordinated, the airplane will start rolling because one wing is flying, one wing is not. It'll roll that direction. They panic. What they should do is push the stick forward and instead they pull and it goes right in, noses into the ground, and they get foam parts, balsa parts going right. everywhere. I think that happened to you once. I, I think I it did. I remember, that. I remember that crash. I think it was an F-15. Uh, I think it was a brand new airplane. Uh, it probably was. Uh, I noticed down in the W taking off that I'm using 
max right rudder to keep it go straight. And then once it gets going, then it's fine. It's straight. Well, because the faster you go, the more airflow you have over your rudder anyway, and then you don't need as much. Right. But you still have um, pretty much any, every airplane out here, if you just took off and then you know left it at, at wide open throttle and didn't touch the stick, just kept it level, you would see it would make a big left-hand turn. Especially if you didn't have it trimmed yep. for, for straight flight. Yeah. yeah, to counter that. So some guys will actually put trim in. They'll put left trim to kind of counteract it. They'll mix it. Like I know some guys that'll mix when they go full throttle. It'll actually put a little bit of trim in. I mean, a little bit of uh, rudder in so that they, you know, when they go Correct. forward and back. They do the same thing with the elevator. You know, if you add full power, the elevator, the airplane wants to climb. So they'll, they'll add, you know, a three-quarter stick. They'll put some down elevator to keep it going straight. And depending on the airplane, that's fine. You're just doing... You're, you're doing digitally what you should have learned to do back when you started flying. Yeah, I agree. That's really what it boils down to. The digital age has allowed us to kind of get out of that and become lazy. Speaking of this torque and so forth, uh, a couple of us here have had a bubble airplane, which yep. has a very bad tendency uh, if you slow it down too much and are in trying to make a bank and then you, you're, you're in a glide. And then you power back up oh boy. severely, <laughs> she'll just torque, roll, boom, she'll right. just go right on in. Very hard to recover from right. Roll over. So I've learned that as I'm coming around, I try to go straight and I'm powering up, so I'm not in a bank. But if I have to be, I give it right rudder and a little bit of right aileron even in order when I start powering up gently so that she don't just go like this. Right. And so your, your bubble is actually a short couple that it has a swept wing. So the characteristics are just slightly different. When you fly a swept wing airplane, the airplane has a tendency to stall at the tips, not at the root. So as a result, your ailerons are way out on the tips. They have no, they no longer have effectiveness to counteract that roll. So when you when you get slow, and you've got all that P factor, you know, pulling you around, and then you jam it really hard and go into a full throttle, it want, it has a tendency to overcome the rudder. And you have no ailerons because they're you know you're pulling back and and it just has a tendency to roll over. Once again, it's just a, because it's such short couple and it's got so much power up front with those big fat blades, it's going to naturally have a natural tendency to roll to the left. I I would have a hard time understanding that anytime you guys fly your bubble that it rolls really hard to the right. No, no, no it's, it's always left. It's always, always left. left. Yeah, always because left. it's always that that increase in power that. You know, that pushes, that overcomes that little dinky little rudder you have on that thing. So, you know, the bubble's built to have speed. You've got to fly it fast, and you got to be, you know, aware that if you got slow and you jam the throttle on there, it's going to have a tendency to roll. And if you're pulling back on the stick, the elevator, I know when I flew Tom's, uh, when you got slow and when you started to pull, there was... He would, he would come into a dive and pull up, and then when he pulled up, the airplane would roll over on its back. Yep. And so it's very short, and when you pull back, we, we realized that the elevator had enough authority that when he pulled, it would actually pitch the nose up to exceed the critical angle of attack. And just by virtue of having that full power in there, it would overcome and snap roll itself over onto its back. And so that's really what it is, is this a snap roll. Um, the better way to, you know, to way to stay out of that is just don't jam full throttle in yep. there and don't yep. pull back as hard right if you're gonna if you're coming downhill put power in you just got to be smoother on the controls I think. but it, it was having, having flown his several times I, I realized that there was some inconsistencies in there and i think the tail flexes on that one a little bit too 
this may not help you. When, when you take that particular <laughs> airplane and you put a bigger or a higher KB motor in it, I put a 2800 in mine, and then you go to 3-cell, it is it's like ballistic. It's very, very fast, but the same thing happens. If you hit, it'll just roll right over. You have to give it gentle. But then again, it becomes a fantastic. Pick it up, bring it up, and just kind of yeah. watch it. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. Well, and that, you know, that kind of boils down to that whole coming out and flying every day or getting more time. The more time you get on the sticks, the more you understand all that. And if you do a little research, I, I told Jay that aerodynamics don't change. I mean, they're, they're laws for a reason. They stay the same, and they work on big airplanes, small airplanes, RC airplanes. Aerodynamics, they're no good at that. They don't. There's certain rules that people really don't talk about. Um, you know, in your instance, you didn't realize that there's a P factor that's pulling you to the left and, you know, pulls the nose down. And then when you finally eventually figure that out and you do those couple exercises, you'll, you'll be like, oh, well, that makes perfect sense, you know. But it's, we just don't talk about it in the RC world because it's it's not usually pilots that are flying this instead it's non-pilots do you ever talk about usually how to think about reversing the controls when the plane's flying at you compared to away from you because that to me was very difficult to get a hang out get the hang out when we first started out yeah and that's probably don't feel bad because it was difficult for me too and i fly for a living so it oh when you're in a in the cockpit you're only going one direction right yes correct you're only going one direction and if, I, uh, if you guys saw me when I first started, I was running circles around myself because I just flew in a big circle so I could always chase the tail of the airplane. I never went out, turned around, and came back to myself. I always just flew in a big circle around myself and just followed the tail, and it was easy. But the simulator helped me with that because I jumped on the sim and just started flying back to me and, and realizing that the controls are kind of opposite. Some of them are. The elevator's not opposite. The elevator's not opposite. You still get a nose up. The elevator's opposite if you're upside down. Yeah, yeah. So, but, uh, but normally it's, you know, you, you just have to you just have to put some time in it. And when you're doing it on a real airplane, it's very difficult. Because you, you're worried, you're already stressed out that the airplane's flying. You're not moving. worried about crashing it. If you got on the simulator, you crash it. You get to the reset button. It took me... Uh, it took me probably five hours on the simulator in a couple of days to just play around with it to finally eventually uh, figure out what the controls were. But I think a buddy box uh, or the sim will probably be the best way to, to kind of train yourself to do that. And it, it has to become muscle memory. You know, you, can, you can't do it with... can't think about it. No, it just has to be one of those rote memory things where you do it enough that your thumbs automatically come back to it. I found it when I started getting into forcing myself to use the left stick that even though this one knew which way left and right was regardless coming or going this one was stupid I could not I could not I'm still backwards I tend to want to do this oh push them both together and out yeah it took a while yeah. Yeah, even once in a while it's, you know I won't be thinking about it I'm just going to go yeah, you gotta you gotta have that built in. It's gotta be built into both thumbs. That's true. Which is which is goes back to our original topic conversation. If you if you train your thumbs from the very beginning to use both sticks, you're gonna be better later on. And I think you'll you'll probably have less crashes and less. You'll have better understanding of how the airplane's controlled. And when you get to some planes, you gotta have it. You gotta have capability of using that rudder. You That's gotta true. Have it. They just don't fly right. Well, we talked about the cub. The cubs won't fly. I mean, they're long. 
they got a really long fuselage on them. So, and the tail just tail just lags around back there. If you don't add any rudder, it's not going anywhere. It, it makes for a very weird turn. Yeah. It, it just goes into a, a bank and kind of drags itself around. <laughs> you gotta go. Gotta go. We gotta go too. But hey man, it was fun. It was fun. Thanks for the discussion. We yes. appreciate it. Thanks. We'll see you guys again. It reillustrates what I was talking about before on the importance of being trained with the rudder. I mean, taking off like Bill was talking about and learning how to use the rudder for a, a crosswind takeoff or keeping your your plane going straight down the runway. You got to have rudder control on that. And and by doing what you were talking about and making that transition where people aren't totally relying on their aileron or they jump immediately to their aileron stick and just know, oh, I got I want to turn the right the plane right or left more. I have to use the rudder, a little bit more rudder control. I have a little, I can turn it. It's a classic example. I love it. Yeah, and Larry was right when he was talking about, you know, people that don't learn to use the rudder, they can't steer the airplane. If it's a tail dragger or if it's uh, you know, even a nose wheel steering, they they don't they don't realize that that's on the left stick. So when they add power, they can't really taxi it around. It's not it's not comfortable for them because they're not used to using that left stick with power and, you know, pushing the power forward and pushing left or right for the rudder. That'll spin the airplane around or taxi it out. So they have difficulty with that. And that's why I think it's important. You heard him talking about the, the takeoffs. I, I made mention of those takeoffs. It's very important to learn to use that rudder. And I think people that fly on a runway – they probably have a little bit more understanding and they're forced into using the rudder to stay on the runway than someone that flies at the park like we do because there is not really designated a runway. It's just an open area. So if they the hand toss their planes, I think. Right, or if they hand toss it or if it's on the ground and it has wheels, then when it starts going down the, you know, it doesn't go straight. It just kind of veers off to the left, but it gets airborne in such a short time they don't really think about using that rudder. Yeah, for for you guys, definitely for or I should say park flyers, it's the crosswind landings. It's flying towards yourself, and it's windy, and you're trying to bring the plane back to yourself. And having a rudder can help you maintain your altitude. You're getting lower. It's windy. You're getting blown around. You got to have a rudder to kind of help you come back, keep the plane level without crashing into the ground while you're trying to bank. You know, if you, if you have only ailerons, you're always constantly trying to bank the plane, bank and yank it. And when you get low to the ground and slow to the ground, that's a bad combination. That's true. We've, we've talked about that, I think, before where we uh, said you want to go up and try to, to try to learn to use all of the, the controls. Trust me, when you start transitioning from just flying around the pattern to flying 3D, you will never fly 3D if you do not know how to use the rudder. You won't be a good sailplane pilot. If you don't know how to use the rudder, because all of those airplanes require rudder input in order to manipulate the aircraft and do what you need it to do. That really surprised me. I didn't realize how, how critical the rudder was flying sailplanes. It, it is. 3D planes I got, gliding and getting at the thermals, you need a rudder. Yanking and banking, you'll, you'll pull yourself right out of that thermal. Well, and, and you're you're rolling into that turn like, I talked about at the park, when you roll into the turn, you're actually losing that component of lift. You're transitioning to a vertical component of lift, which actually kills the lift for going straight. And now you have to compensate with that by pulling back on the elevator stick. And that therefore it 
you know, has a tendency to lose lift. And, and if you're in a glider, it'll just start spiraling and it'll get tighter and tighter because you're pulling and it's rolling and it, you're defeating the purpose of a glider. You're not, you're not keeping your glide ratio the same. Yeah. I, I think I could really see how the importance of that. So what else did uh, the guys, did they, did they have anything else that they brought up about what they thought the importance was? Uh, any of the other people that you didn't record or talk, just talk to around the park? No, most of most of the guys that were there, they uh, you know, they were just talking about flying in general. I mean, I kind of explained to them, you know, kind of not really avionics one hundred and one or avionics aviation one hundred and one, but there were things that Larry didn't understand. He didn't know about the left turning tendency. He didn't know about P factor. They're all the oh. things that a non pilot is not that that someone that was a pilot could understand. But that right. was a non-pilot. Well, before, we, before we go on, I mean, why don't you just explain to the audience what P factor is and once again how the rudder will help you or why you may be turning down a runway. Maybe there's no wind, but still you're turning left. Well, yeah, so you have a descending blade on the propeller, and the descending blade actually uh causes a a direct reaction ninety degrees to where the blade is turning. So you have this big disc out front and the disc is turning. And as it's turning, it's creating a slipstream that comes around the body of the airplane and pushes the tail to the right. So you have the descending blade pulling you to the left. Then you have the slipstream pushing you to the left. Therefore, your airplane, the more power you give your airplane, the more left turning tendency you will get. If you don't mix your throttle to rudder, then you're going to need to add the rudder by hand in order to keep it going straight. So the more throttle you push forward, the more right rudder you're going to need initially. Now, as the airplane gains airspeed, there becomes airflow over the rudder, and you'll see the airplane will actually start to drift to the right. At the point where it drifts to the right, you need to take your thumb off of the rudder stick and let the airplane center itself again. So there is a fine line between how much how much pressure you put. You don't want the airplane going to the right, but you don't want to let it go to the left either. And if you just took the pressure all the way off the stick, it would start turning to the left again, especially at full throttle. Uh, I think Mike, Bar uh, Mike, when we went up to Alaska, Mike, when we went up there uh, flying his ME 109, he was having the same problem. It was always going to the left and he couldn't figure out why because he didn't have enough rudder to keep it going straight. Rudder is what keeps you going straight down the runway. Are there other planes? I, I think I want to say the our combat wings sometimes have that problem. If when we put too big of an engine on the back of it, that sometimes we have to do a, a mix, just like you talked about, of the throttle to the rudder to counteract that that P factor. Okay, so in the in the in the the part of the wings where we talk about, there is no rudder. The wings only have. Uh, flapper on or, or uh, elevon. You are correct, but but the the P factor or the left turning tendency is still there. It's a pusher prop, but it's wanting to rotate the flying wing to the left. So what happens is if you jam on the throttle, you're going to find that the wing is going to roll to the left. You have to you're going to have to counteract that. So you can do it by manually doing it and learning how to do it, or you can mix it in the new digital radios. You can mix that, and you can mix that. If I went full throttle, I don't want it to roll to the left. I want it to remain straight. Now, I would go to someone that understands the mixing portion of it 
make sure that they set it up correctly because if you don't set it up correctly and you have that mix in there, it could get a little hairy for you. <laughs> really? Sounds like you speak from experience. I do actually. Yes. <laughs> Not from my airplanes, but you know, you and I've set up several mixes and if you, uh, if you set it up from an elevator to uh throttle or a throttle to elevator, it just depends, you know, how, how that's set up. Cause you can actually do it backwards where if you give more elevator, you get more throttle. You don't want to do that, but, uh, you should always start with the throttle and then mix into whatever the ailerons or the rudder or elevator, something like that. Well, it's, it's neat to see that you can do these mixes to counteract the forces that act upon the planes like this. I notice once again, I tend to like faster planes, not so much like, a, even though I just gave you this example of the aileron, the problems I tend to have with these planes are you, the faster you go, the more you climb. And you still want to maintain the same altitude or, you know, keep level flight. So I have to make a mix to do the elevator and to keep it flying level. Yeah. So the more, the more uh, throttle you have, then the more down elevator you get. So therefore, when you really jam the throttle in, your elevator just moves to a nose down position. And that, that way the airplane stays in level flight as opposed to starting to climb. Because once again, with the left turning tendency, when you add full power, the airplane's going to want to pitch up. It's just a natural reaction of the aircraft. By virtue of it pulling itself, it wants to pull itself into a climb. Sometimes it can be a real steep climb. In the in the you know when Phil, Phil flew his radon, he put full throttle in there. It went skyward. It basically stood right on its tail. So you don't obviously want that much in there. But we mixed a little bit of it out so that, you know, you can add full throttle and it will go straight as opposed to climbing or descending. So for Phil's plane, basically we're talking about two things then, right? Since it has a larger wing, rudder surfaces, and of course with the speed as you apply the power because it's such a light model that you have to mix in, like you said, a, a down for the elevator. And then you might still have that P factor that's coming in there and may, may, might want, want you to turn to the right. Um, mixed in as well, right? Yeah, it's turning to the left, but you could to, put excuse, that excuse me, yeah. to the left. Yeah, you could mix in that as well. It would be two separate mixes, but as you put the throttle forward, you would have a little bit of, of rudder in. Uh, where I mix the rudder in is with the ailerons. It's actually a better way to do it. We were kind of talking about that earlier. Once you get to where you're off of the three channel and into the four channel, then you actually can mix the, the guy that's not really used to working with the with the rudder he can actually, you can help them by mixing some of the aileron to the rudder. So what you do is is now as you add aileron to roll the airplane, you will mix in a rudder that will give you a certain percentage of rudder flex so that when you turn, the airplane turns level. So that's called a coordinated turn, right? It is a coordinated turn. And in my eyes, mixing it is a little cheating. I don't really like to do that. But for the guy who's going to crash an airplane that's an expensive airplane or has not just really refuses to kind of use the rudder, then you can mix that so that when he goes to turn, he's in a coordinated turn. If you're not in a coordinated turn, very similar to what we talked about at the park, the airplane will actually, as you roll the airplane, the nose is going to pull to the left. So if you roll to the left, the nose is going to go down towards the ground. Your natural tendency is to pull back. If you roll to the right, the nose is going to go into the air. Your your aircraft's going to climb, and your natural tendency is to pull back. 
So once again, you go into this little circular motion where you're not really turning the airplane around 360 degrees at the same level. You're actually climbing into this little oval loop and then back down and then, you know, making this figure eight where you're actually kind of coming up and over the top because you're always climbing and you're always looping by virtue of pulling back on the elevator. Now, I, I like I like that particular mix with new guys because I'll set it up where the, it, it does that just a little bit. So I'll say, okay, let's go ahead and we'll make a coordinated turn to the right. I'll tell them to slowly do it. And so since it only has a little bit of this mix into it, I'll tell them to go ahead and initiate the turn. And then they can, and I say, well, don't touch anything. And they'll, they'll get to see just how, just with a little bit of it, what, what that turn looks like. And then the steeper or tighter the turn they make, I go, okay, now you take the controls. Now move just a little bit more of the rudder and just, and, and put a little bit more rudder input and see what happens. And it's a lot easier to explain a coordinated turn to them when the radio is doing a little bit of the work and then they can see the effect of more aileron or more rudder in those turns. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. And I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. You just, if you're going to mix it, just mix a little bit of it though. I mean, we're talking 5%. Yes, just a little. <laughs> if, you, if you mix yeah. 10 or 15 or 20%, then it kind of defeats the purpose. They will never have to use that rudder stick because you're doing it all for them. So, but I, I can see what you're saying. And, and for the new guy learning, they really should program their, their thumbs to use all of the sticks in doing everything. You become a better pilot that way and you become a better, you, 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 you have a tendency to understand your aircraft better with what it's doing out there. And later on, it's going to help you if you get into 3D turns. It's going to help you with that. If, uh, like up here, we fly on floats, it's it's necessary that you can do a coordinated turn with floats on to make landings, you know, based upon what the wind's blowing across the lake. It's very, very important. So, yeah, it definitely comes in handy later on or different aspects of, of or the type of plane that you're flying. That's true. The other thing, too, is that uh, it allows you to turn a flat turn. So you can actually get the nose to come around by not losing any altitude, which means that if you're if you're descending and you're below the tree level and you're getting clo- closer to the ground, rather than just land the other direction and let your airplane go off the runway and, and off to the other side, you can actually put a little bit of rudder in there and turn the airplane to line up the way you want it to and then touch down with that little bit of rudder in there, your airplane won't be so squirrely. Uh, it works well in the wind. You're flying the glider, especially you're, you've, you've got to have a long, you know, kind of come in uh, landing with the glider. If it's coming in and it's a couple inches off the ground, then you can just push the rudder and do a flat turn and get it to, you know, come around through 180 degrees and land the other direction. So you can kind of save the airplane, save, uh, the distance that you need for landing, you can kind of shorten all that up. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that one, Mike. Once again, I know we keep talking about this all the time, but your real flight simulator, love it. Oh, yeah. You can put in winds. You can do crosswind turns. It is such a great training tool. You can put in whatever kind of environment you want in landing conditions that you want. Oh, it helps out so much to illustrate how these how the things we're talking about works. Yeah, I I was uh, like I said, I'm a big real flight fan. I I love that simulator, and and you're right, you can practice it. I practice doing figure eights with just the rudder. So I take off down the runway, and then I just use the rudder to turn flat. 
And when you use just the rudder, even if the more rudder that you give, you may have to give opposite aileron to keep the wings level. And that's really very yes. counterintuitive to someone who's used to turning with ailerons. They're not used to putting opposite of the rudder. So it, it, it teaches you that, you know, whatever rudder you put in there, you might need something to counteract that because it's turning way too fast or it's turning flat. Uh, and it allows you to kind of see what's happening in the simulator. If you crash it, once again, you just hit the restart button and you're back in business. So I'm a firm right. believer in that. You know, Christmas well, is around the corner. I, so if you haven't got it yet, it's, it, obviously you can run out there and grab it. It's it's well worth the money. Yeah. One of the things I like, like about using that program is that you can turn the winds up. And once again, you were talking about taking off. You can over-exaggerate, you know, the winds by you know, 10 knots, 15 knots. And they can really see how the wind affects their plane going down the runway or even coming landing for a runway. If the winds are kind of high, they can really see how what rudder inputs being put in there when it's exaggerated like that of the effects. So once again, it just helps the beginners. I love it. So one of the things that the guys at the park were trying to figure out was how to fly knife edge. And I think when you came down there, that was a little difficult for you as well. And, and yeah. I had, you know, a couple of, of maneuvers that, that we tried to get you to kind of understand how to hold the knife edge into the knife, you know, how to hold it into the knife edge. And then as you fly knife edge, how to switch it and fly the other direction because your rudder switches. If you're flying one direction, it's one rudder. The other direction is obviously the other rudder, but. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you, you quickly put your plane in the ground. If you don't, if you don't understand, you that. can, you really can, but it's, it's important to understand now because you've, you've taken that airplane that flies straight and level. You've turned it 90 degrees to the horizon. And now your elevator, I mean, your rudder acts as an elevator and your elevator acts as a rudder. So I know, Ooh, I know that's a little different in your brain. You get, your brain gets all, you know, digitized in there, but that's actually what's happening uh, a simulator will help you understand that. But when you actually go out and fly it in the park, you would need to learn. The whole point of this is that you need to learn to use the rudder. If you don't know how to use the rudder, you'll never knife edge. You'll never 3D. You'll never hover. Uh, you'll never do any of that stuff. And all of your turns will be uncoordinated. So you'll just be dragging the airplane around. The rudder is to keep the tail section and the nose section aligned. That's really the, the important part of this. I mentioned it at the park with the other guys, but that's that's ultimately what the rudder does, is it keeps you coordinated. Well, we appreciate you joining us tonight at our podcast for the Stick and Rudder, and uh, hope you join us for the next podcast. We should uh, have it out here shortly. Signing off here from Arizona, I'm Michael. And I'm Jay in the AK. Have a good night. Night, everybody. You have been listening to the Park Flyer Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to your next visit. Please give our show a star rating and review, and feel free to email us your questions, topics, or suggestions to parkflyerpodcast at gmail.com.